Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Brian Nutwell. And I'm Drew Perot. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. We're right in the middle of a series on joy, and so we thought, what better than a war movie? But of course, this is Wonder Tour, so we're going to do Rogue One this week. In Rogue One, we find this awesome leader, Jin, but she's not so awesome right when we meet her. Jin is a conflicted character, truly a classic rebel archetype. She's a little bit aimless, looking for purpose and mission to align to, a little bit distrusting of the system and of people because they've let her down, but she has some founding in joy and goodness because of her relationship with her father, Galen, when she was younger, but she really isn't living like she has good character currently. In this movie, it's not easy to see how many of the characters experience happiness or joy on a daily basis. This is a war movie after all. They're in a dire circumstance. The only joy that we really see is in relationships and in togetherness during difficult times. And through this, we start to learn what joy is really about. Joy is not about succeeding. Joy is not about getting some reward externally like we're used to for humans that generally tends to drive our daily growth. Joy is instead about seeing others succeed. Joy is a choice that we make in each moment of how we are going to feel. Joy comes from internal, and as we've discussed in our last couple episodes, it gets amplified through relationships, community, and purpose. So what can we learn from Jin and the other characters in Rogue One as it relates to joy and how to choose joy in the most difficult moments of our lives. Welcome to Wonder Tour. Hey, Wonders, this is Brian. We apologize if there's any audio glitches in this episode. I had a power failure at my house uh, in the middle of getting to the mountaintop of episode one. So there may be a slight transition because you get between audio environments there. But thanks so much for your patience. All right, welcome back, everyone, this week. This is Brian. I'm here with Drew. We're rejoining the Star Wars universe. Rogue One was really fun to rewatch this week. This is one of those movies that the basic concept of it, as we were talking about earlier, is pretty much fan service. This is all just like wedging a cool story in between the cracks of other events in the Star Wars universe. But it turned out to be a really enjoyable watch. And a big part of that is because of those characters and their relationships, like as a classic war movie where everybody's in sort of a difficult situation and it's a desperate time for the Empire. We see a couple of pairs or a couple sets of relationships between characters that are just enough for them to not only have, you know, kind of get through their difficult day, but to give them faith in the value of morality, the value of compassion, the value of sacrificing for others in this very sort of bleak and depressing time in the universe that we get to observe. So I want to talk about those kind of pairs of characters. The obvious one, of course, as Drew already mentioned, is the, is Jin and her father, Galen, and to a lesser extent, her mother, only just because her mother doesn't give her much screen time. But she has this sort of, as a very young girl, she, at least, she has the memory of the experience of a really warm and loving relationship with him. And then we sort of get to see the bookend to that 
later on into the movie. But we have a couple other pairs of characters who, you know, have built some sense of trust and some sense of being able to reinforce each other in difficult times. So which ones, what stuck out to you here, Drew? We get a number of different conflicted characters here. We get Imway and Baze, the kind of ex-guardians of the Jedi Temple that the Empire is using to mine the kyber crystals from. Those guys are great because we get Imway, who has this hope and belief and purpose that is unwavering. And then we get Baze, who's the skeptic, and yet they're friends anyway. And they've had this lifelong relationship, it seems like, where they know each other and they're going to stick together through whatever happens and getting to just see a small piece of their life. There's a lot of joy in that. And you can see the joy that Imway has despite his physical condition where he can't actually see you'd expect him not to be the best fighter or not to be the best defender or protector. And yet he is. And I love that we get that flipping of the script there with those guys. And then, of course, we'll get into later how that story ends between those two. Yeah, that one's a great that's probably the warmest like on-screen relationship that we get to see sustain in this movie. But you also have, you know, sort of there's a fun little old couple bickering relationship between uh, Cassian Andor and his robot K2SO. And that <laughs> sort of carries over to Jin during the course of the movie as well. And we get to see a little bit of her relationship with this Saw Gerrera rebel leader character, who was a surrogate father figure for a while. And then something we see a lot of examples of, again, in this movie is sort of the tough love approach of like, well, it's better for you if you're not around me while I'm off doing this whatever difficult thing. So it puts her in a very vulnerable, very lonely, and like you said, sort of conflicted and disaffected situation at the beginning of the movie. So what do we see in her arc here? What do you, what do you see about her over the course of the, the kind of the first half of this movie? Yeah, so Jin doesn't want to buy in to the rebellion. She gets kidnapped by them coming out of prison. Basically, she's on the prison transport <laughs> and she gets kidnapped. And then she's like, yeah, well, I don't really want to be a part of your rebellion. She doesn't believe in it. You get her having some sort of a vested interest once they start to mention Saw, but even then she does, she's not really bought into it. It's just kind of the best option that she has. So it's like she's searching for purpose and she just she knows it's out there because of her prior experiences. But right now in her life, she doesn't have any purpose. And I think it can be really easy to find ourselves in that spot. I think we can point to spots in our lives or maybe some of us are even at that spot now where we had that exact experience that Jin's having. Like, I know that there's purpose. I know that there's a reason for this, but I just don't understand it currently. And I can't bring myself to take action because of that. I'm just kind of aimlessly wandering. Right. I think that's, uh, you know, again, maybe we do the, like you said, uh, tying it back to our real world experience, right? Most of us are fortunate enough to not be living through a, a war or a rebellion, but we you absolutely have that, like, I just, I don't see a thing around me that I want to attach to, right? I'm just trying to make it through the day. I'm just trying to, you know, put one foot in front of the other, but I don't, I don't have a larger purpose necessarily, or the larger purpose that I had, maybe I either don't believe it in anymore, or I can't get that excited about it, or it seems just too far out of reach. This is the opportunity then for us to learn from Jin. What do we do when we're in those dire straits? Because Dire straits don't have to be, like you said, a war. It's great to look at that because it tears at our emotions, which maybe allows us to have a stronger reaction to it. And because it just kind of makes mountains out of molehills, which, you know, we say on Wonder Tour is a good way to come to understand a concept. 
Right. Well, and, and again, we started this talking about relationships. So maybe kind of getting into the main theme of this episode here, when we do see her starting to gain that sense of purpose and starting to really engage with, uh, you know, the rebellion in this case, it's because of her relationships, right? She gets she gets into this because her father is involved and because there's an opportunity to to hear from him again, to see him again, to be involved in events that he's apparently uh, instigated into existence. And so that's that's her her original angle into it. But then as she gets deeper into it and as she sees the message and, and the, you know, the movie kind of cascades on, she becomes uh, much more personally engaged. She takes a lot more responsibility, takes a lot more ownership of what's happening next and really becomes the, the engine that drives the story forward. The relationship was sort of her window to be open to the idea of a purpose. But then once she finds it, she really engages with it strongly herself. And that starts to form the new relationships, right? The relationships with the, the individual rebels that will end up following her. So, Brian, why don't you bring us down into our what if for the day? So we have this kind of centerpiece of the plot is this video that only Jin gets to see where her father has sent a cargo pilot to the rebellion with this message. And the message says, I've designed a flaw into the Death Star, which, of course, it has to be there for the original movie to have worked. And that flaw in the Death Star can only be found at this one place. And you guys need to go get the plans, decode them, figure it out. And that's the only way we can redeem the fact that I just built them the super weapon. So this is a real trigger for Jin because it does two things. Like he is very affectionate towards her in the video. He's very, you know, he's, he called her, her his pet name Stardust. And he's like, you know, says that he's sorry for having to leave her behind and explains what's going on. And he gives her this North star that they can go towards that could potentially be a sense of hope for the rebellion. So it's, it's, it sort of does both of those things. Now, if he sends her a video and just says, Hey, I'm sorry, I love you, but I built the super weapon and that's it. Obviously that, you know, <laughs> the rest of the movie's not that interesting, but what if it's the other way around? What if he sends her this information, but doesn't have this past loving relationship with her. So that's kind of our what if. What if he doesn't have the credibility of she trusts him, she believes in him, you know, they have this warm, loving past, and she gets this message from a person that she's resentful of or, you know, very cold towards, and it's an opportunity to do something nearly impossible for a cause that she didn't previously believe in. Does she still take the same actions? Do we still get the same movie? Yeah, now that you're saying it, just a slight detour. It's almost like Cooper and Murph in Interstellar, <laughs> right? Where we, at the end of Interstellar, Murph does all of that stuff. She and Cooper are the dual heroes of the movie. And she's like, well, you know, I did this all because my dad said <laughs> she's like, I trusted you even when I didn't want to. Even when I really was really hated you, basically, I trusted you. And that's what we get with Jin here. It's because of the character of Galen that she's able to believe that she's able to take action. It's that credibility, that integrity that Galen has shown in the past that makes his actions meaningful. His character amplifies his actions, maybe is another way to say it. And not only amplifies it in himself, but it amplifies it in Jin and in the people that he comes across. In Bodhi, the pilot that he instructs to bring the news to Sagarera. I mean, if Galen does not have good character and Jin doesn't know of his character, then she doesn't have any motivation to change. It's only by seeing a demonstration of his character and trusting his character that she can actually turn her life and become something different and even something more like she does here, where she goes from this passive passenger on this journey to the leader 
of this expedition that's going to try to save the universe. Yeah. And the movie itself kind of gives us the answer to our what if question, right? The movie itself shows us that the rest of the rebels, the leaders don't believe her. She's the only one that sees this message and she conveys it to them, but she doesn't have any of that credibility. They haven't seen her sacrifice on their behalf in the past. They don't have an established relationship with her. They don't have any trust. And so they kind of collectively sort of blow her off. Like some of them are, you know, want to believe it. And so they want to follow the plan. Some of them don't. But in general, she's not a compelling messenger in the first council scene where she tries to convince everybody to go after the Death Star plans and to go after this chance. They don't agree to back her up. They don't get on board with this opportunity until she demonstrates the willingness to sacrifice herself by like getting together the Rogue One team and flying to Scarif and putting herself in this impossible situation. And once that is clear, then that kind of gives them the evidence that they need to get off the top dead center and actually like engage with this hope, right? So you need both the factual content of there is a thing that could happen and the emotional content of I'm bought into the messenger and I believe their motivations and I believe, you know, and they're, they're, we are aligned in character. Those things are both required to get people to do something that is difficult or extraordinary. I like that, how you brought in that change or transformation requires both the facts and character. One on their own will not really be enough. It needs truth and character. You have to have some sort of information about reality that causes somebody to take action. And then they have to actually trust you and believe in you. And I think that's what we see here that we can apply to our lives. So how do we want to live, you know, by the teachings of Jin and Galen here? Well, just look at how do people respond to us and how should they respond to us? We all have our missions, whether they're handed down from on high in a business where, you know, achieve some objective and key results or whether it's something that we've subscribed to a mission in life. It's but how should we then expect to be able to get other people aligned to that mission? And that's where integrity comes in, throwing back to our integrity series. Unless we have intact character, we shouldn't expect other people to want to align with us. I just I, would we want to align with somebody who we don't believe has intact character. And again, intact character doesn't mean perfection. Intact character means at least for us, means integrated character, means more fully understood, embracing the complexity of it, embracing the flaws and learning from them and growing in a not just individual way, but in a relational way. Or even more simply than that, you know, we would have to believe that they've invested in us, right? Why would you follow a leader if that leader hadn't put some effort into supporting you in the past? Right. If, if I'm if I'm a leader, if I'm asking the people on my team to say, hey, there's this incredible opportunity in front of us, it's going to require a whole bunch of hard work and sacrifice. You may not get to see your families. You may be working 80 hours a week. We might not get paid as much as you wanted to or whatever, but we're going to go after this great mission. Like some people might be motivated just by the opportunity, but by and large, they're much more likely to treat me with credibility to want to follow me into that battle. If I have demonstrated in the past that I care for them, if I've demonstrated in the past that I support them, that I give them real opportunities, that I protect them, that I don't, you know, leave them hanging when something goes wrong, makes them explain to the president. Right? As a leader, you've got to make those investments every day, even when you're not asking for something extraordinary, because when you do come to ask for something extraordinary, you're asking it with what they perceive as your character. Right. They'll remember whether or not you've been a person that they'd want to be in a foxhole with. Hmm. That's really good. Have they invested in my character? That's what you kind of look at when you decide 
is this person worth following? And yeah, that's something that's really hard to come around to as a leader is how should I spend my time? Because there's so many things vying for your energy and time. And yet some of it just needs to go into the soft side stuff. Some of it is just showing, right? Some of it is demonstrating character, not so that other people can see it, but so that the world can be changed by your character because it totally will. But other pieces of it is like curating experiences for people on the team so that they feel like their character is growing. And those might be B-sides. Those might be off the main track in terms of what your normal objectives are every day. Yeah, absolutely. And those those smaller interactions, those interactions when you aren't incredibly stressed out, those interactions that you that you have that can be supportive are the ones that will power their willingness to engage with a challenge that you make them aware of or their willingness to sacrifice for something that they believed in, but maybe needed a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a push to get there. And that's, that's certainly true for me, right? Like I, you know, I'm much more willing to to believe that a, a cause is worth pursuing or that a project is worth working on if I'm excited about the person who's offering it to me, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm like, oh, they've always given me these good opportunities or they've always supported me when I had a hard time and made sure I got the resources that I needed, you know, or just, you know, we've been having lunch together for five years and I just know this person and sort of know how they think and trust that they would align things well for me. Like I'm much more likely to buy into something. I'm much more likely to give more energy than is strictly required or to volunteer for a thing that I don't have to do if I have that relationship. And that's, I think, not not terribly unusual. No, I think that's natural and that's okay to want to have that experience in order to follow somebody. And speaking of character, I think we're kind of winding our way up to the mountaintop here. Our mountaintop here is going to be a little bit brief. In terms of the scene in the movie, but this scene in the movie really spoke to me, and I know it did to you as well, Brian. And it's just this one moment between Jin and K2SO, the droid, who was a reprogrammed Imperial droid who's now serving the rebellion. Initially, Jin doesn't trust him because, again, he looks the part of an Imperial droid. And this is a game of espionage, and so there's not a lot of trust between all these parties. And we get this moment at the end when they're on Scarif, where Jin gives K2SO a gun, which obviously is putting trust in K2SO, believing in K2SO. And then K2's response is to say that your behavior, Jin Erso, is continually unexpected. Yeah, this is a great moment. And, you know, it's a Star Wars movie, so the droids are kind of somewhere between pets and children, right? They're, they're not quite on the level of the humans, but they have infallible character sense. If you have a droid with a sense of humor that's following you around in a Star Wars movie, you're one of the good guys. <laughs> uh, and Jin takes a while to figure this out in this, in this particular case. But yeah, I love this moment because they were very skeptical of each other throughout this entire movie. And Jin has been very isolationist at the beginning. She's very, you know, very independent and very not about joining causes. And she's completely flipped to giving her whole self to this endeavor. And she kind of understands that K2 is committed as well. And so, yeah, she's literally handing him the power of life and death. Like, I am empowering you to carry on your part of this mission, however you see fit. But it's also just sort of a commentary on her character that she is capable of this growth, right? That she's like, oh, you're, you know, your behavior is unexpected. I didn't think you had that in you. And that's a really that's a really cool thing to say about anybody. It's a really cool thing to see about anybody, like to see them emerge into something new. And she and believes so, that he's more than his outer shell. She believes that he's more than his programming, which, I mean, come on, doesn't that come up? 
in our everyday lives? You know, is somebody more than their past experiences? Is somebody more than what you can see from the outside looking in? Right. And that's you get to a, a point in a relationship where it's not strictly transactional, right? Where you're paying it forward. Where you're like, I believe you're going to do the right thing. So I'm going to help you take the next step and then take my hands off the reins and let it go. And joy isn't an emotion that droids can have in a true sense, but even just the way that K2SO talks here, if you just read that statement, your behavior, Jin or so, is continually unexpected. If you just read that in like a robot voice, it means nothing. But when you hear it in K2's voice with the inflection at the end there, it's continually unexpected. It lets you know something like the, like K2 felt believed in. K2 felt like there was actually a relationship there with Jin. K2 felt like Jin was a leader worth following, which I, I just think when you get that sort of feedback as a leader, obviously those moments may seem like they're small. They may be few and far between. That tells you something. It, it doesn't have to be exactly in that sort of a moment. But when you empower somebody else, when you believe in somebody else, and then you get a response, that's that's powerful. That's confirmation that the path is the right one. It's not about you. <laughs> it always comes back to that, right? It's not about you. No, that's great. Yeah, so coming back down off the mountaintop here where we've got this, we've been talking about the leadership investment in the people around them and being willing to walk the walk themselves and being willing to sacrifice themselves. This sacrifice keeps keeps coming back over and over again in these stories. I almost want to suggest here at the end that this concept of sacrifice that we talk about in leadership, whether it's, the, you know, the actual physical sacrifice of Gandalf fighting the Balrog and falling into the pit, or it's a, you know, a more a more prosaic one of the Blues Brothers not taking any of the money from the gig because they're just trying to save the orphanage, right? There's there's a lot of levels of sacrifice. But almost by definition, the sacrifice is the foregoing my personal guaranteed health and well-being so that some cause that's more important to me will succeed, so that the people around me will succeed, so the world around me will thrive. And so we're here in our series about joy. And what this movie is showing us is that, you know, joy is kind of the, it's the engine, but also the currency that powers that sacrifice. Like if, you, if you're not fighting for your joy, your future joy or somebody else's, then the sacrifice doesn't have the same context or meaning, I think. So how does that, how does that hit you? Yeah, I think there's some relationship between joy and hope here. Since this is a Star Wars movie, their main theme is always about hope, basically. And joy is a present emotion like we've talked about. It's it's a choice that we make to experience something in a certain way, to internalize something in a certain way, to value the relationships we're building over the things that we have or the way that the outside world is viewing us or anything like that. And I think joy is a piece of that. I would take and iterate your concept there and say, this is where we multiply joy. Like we've been talking about joy. It's not that I'm giving my joy to somebody else. It's that I'm finding joy in somebody else's success, in seeing somebody else develop, in believing in somebody, having compassion on somebody, that I find my joy in the great relational and purpose-driven things in life instead of in the, well, I have money or I have influence or power or anything like that. Or, well, people say good things about me. It's like, 
well, those can lead to some happiness and contentment, and that won't be a bad thing necessarily. But joy is this fountain that you can share with other people, and it comes from a place of having a strong sense of purpose and believing and caring about other people. Now, there you go. I like that. I think that the joy is maybe inherently tied to some purpose, right? Like even if even if the purpose is just, you know, the, I'm going to be a great trumpet player in a band, right? But that, you know, that I'm, I'm doing the thing that I was meant to do. I'm doing the thing that makes the world better in a way that I am uniquely suited to do. That's certainly one of the flavors. And, and those moments don't have to be huge. That's what this movie shows us is that these characters build relationships, form attachments to each other, are willing to sacrifice for each other. Not because they're just, you know, having a fabulous time together, like the movie's kind of terrible, but that they're, you know, they're under a lot of stress. But just having a person with you there that is sympathetic, that will help you through it, that shares a purpose with you is enough, enough joy to power you to feel like you're willing to take the next step and the one after that. It's really it's really powerful. I think that's a, a thing that we can keep our eyes open for as we're watching these stories. All right, Brian, so let's wrap it up here. This has been an awesome episode. We started out talking about how change requires both facts or truth and character, meaning just because we're equipped with the right information, just because we're sharing a truthful story with the people that we're leading or that we're influencing does not mean that they are going to follow it or that they are going to be changed by it. There is the integrity aspect as well, where we as leaders want to have good character so that other people can trust us, so that other people can aspire to more. And it's not just the matter of, is what we are espousing true or good or anything like that? So we talked about why would you even follow a leader unless they have invested in you? So I think we can all kind of go back and think about people that we lead and why would they even follow us? Are we investing in them? And then as we talked about the mountaintop, we thought about the relationship between compassion and belief and dignity, even though we might not have talked specifically about those words, but we kind of wrapped all of those things up in this moment with Jin and K2 where we saw what it means to be a leader, what it means to, in a difficult situation, believe in somebody else, empower somebody else, and really share your joy with them when most people would just say, well, there shouldn't be joy in that situation at all. Yeah, and the movie gives us some really cool moments around those kind of interactions, and they and they aren't transactional. Their investments, their habits, their, their like you said, their character, who you are with the people that are around you, how you treat them will then influence, you know, the you're going to live in a world with more people that trust you and you're willing to support you. Right. That it's that level of investment. It's not a specific. I did this one nice thing. Therefore, you're going to do a nice thing. Yeah. Joy is a multiplicative force. We're always looking for those multiplicative forces in business or in life because they're few and far between. And it's like the fountain that overflows. You need access to that life. And when you find the thing that overflows, it's like, oh, well, as we always say on Wonder Tour, a lot of times it's upside down. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> seem like it would work that way. But if you flip the script and say, actually, what if joy is the multiplicative thing? What if money and power and all those things are additive? But these other things that we find can be multiplicative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we're getting to something that's going to be important about about our joy concept is this idea that we talked about a little bit about the limit breaks too, the, of the idea of scaling up, the idea of some good things are contagious when done properly. You know, and we see Jin completely flip right at the beginning of this movie. She's not in a very good state. You know, she's a 
she's disillusioned and she's in handcuffs and she's like not, you know, she's not thriving in her life. At the end of the movie, she's worse. She's sitting on a beach with her injured friend waiting to be killed by the Death Star, right? But she's much more sanguine about it. She's much happier about her place in the universe and what she's done with her life because she found a purpose and got aligned with it and took a major swing, took a step at it and found some people to share it with in the process. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, not a terribly unusual message in the movies, but it's a it's really nicely executed in this case. We get to see her small elements of joy, small elements of personal interaction, sort of powering that huge life viewpoint to change. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, everyone, we will come back next week and we'll have Rogue One episode two, and we'll talk a little bit more about the sacrifice angle on joy and how should we approach these difficult problems. So in the meantime, thanks everyone. And just remember, character is destiny. 